So today we're in, we're continuing in this series in the book of Acts. We're getting to the end of the whole book. It's 28 chapters, and we have sort of like really accelerated our pace at the end of the book uh, to where we just have um, three weeks left after today. And we were back in March. Uh, we, we got back into the series, and we were only in chapter 13. So we have really covered a lot of ground since then, relatively speaking. Um, and, and I really wrestled with today wanting to, to, to go, how, how can I break up this massive chunk? But it really is all one cohesive story, and I think the most effective way to look at it together is to, to do it as one, one piece. And I, I really felt this as I've been preparing for a lot of the sermons in these last few chapters and today, that it can be pretty difficult to try to draw a line between these historical events that are really being talked about and trying to connect them with with our everyday life. You know, how do we how do we take the kind of minutia of some trial and some controversy between uh, some Jewish people and some Roman leaders and this one guy Paul who's at the middle of all this controversy? How do we how do we take any of that and try to connect it to our everyday lives? How can we try to to apply what we're learning about into the lives that we're living out. And that's really kind of the whole question of following Jesus, of reading the Bible. <laughs> how, do we, how do we take what we're reading and see it actually like applied and pressed down into our hearts so that you could say on Monday or Wednesday or whatever day, like something has changed in me or I'm thinking about this differently because of what I'm learning, because of what the Holy Spirit is showing me through through the scriptures, so so to help us today try to draw that line between what we're learning and to how we're living, I want to introduce a new word to you, uh, and that word is winsome, <laughs> winsome, and and it might not be a new word for you. Some of you are very smart, and you know this word winsome, um, but even if you already know the word, it's not a word that we use very often. It's not a common word. In our language, what does winsome mean? Uh, when we say, usually it's, it's connected to a person, so when we say someone is winsome, we would probably mean that we're drawn to them, that we're attracted to them, not in a romantic way, but in a relational way, like we want to be around that person, they have some kind of appeal or charm that, that is attractive. And so uh, you could say that someone has a winning smile or a winsome smile. It's just the root of the word winsome comes from uh, this old English word that means joy. And so we're kind of drawn to the joy that is <clears throat> coming from this person. And what we see in the passage of Acts chapter 25 and 26 that we're looking at, as I think we, someone we could call a winsome witness, somebody who is uh, talking about who Jesus is in a way that is attractive and appealing and, and is really, uh, it just draws you in, it draws you in as you see this witness given. So uh, a lot of times they talk about what does it mean to be a faithful witness? How do we make sure that we're saying the right things and not compromising? And we want to make sure that we're speaking the truth. But how do we do all that in a way that's attractive and winning and charming? Uh, and, and, and we sometimes think, well, those things can't coexist because if we do that, then we might compromise the truth of the message of the gospel. But, but I think what we're seeing today in this passage 
is that we can share Jesus in a way that is attractive and engaging and winning. Uh, and and that, that might sound strange for you because we think, man, when I talk or think about sharing my faith, you know, talking to other people about Jesus, the words I think of are not attractive or appealing. They're more like awkward and uncomfortable and, and confrontational. Like that's, you know, we, whenever you think about talking to someone about Jesus, you automatically think that they're going to start talking about the Crusades or something. Like, oh, they're just going to go to the worst things that have ever happened in the history of Christianity. And, and on some level, that can be true. We're going we're gonna to face those kinds of objections and moments there's, there's sometimes just an awkward moment where you're like, so what do you think about Jesus? Uh, you know, and, and that can be difficult. Um, but, but there is another aspect of sharing Jesus that can be really exciting uh, and actually something that we can anticipate with um, just to be ready and, and like this is going to be a neat thing to be able to talk to this person about Jesus, and, and maybe a way you can think about it is, wouldn't it be, um, wouldn't you like to be the kind of person who draws people to Jesus with your life? Wouldn't you like to be the kind of person who, uh, who feels not scared or nervous about sharing Jesus, but actually anticipates it with excitement and readiness, with kind of a confidence or a boldness that what you have to say is appealing and attractive to people, or it can be, uh, the kind of people, kind of person who makes Jesus look good. And I know that I want that. You know, I, I'm up here teaching about this, but it doesn't mean that I, like, have this dialed in. Like, I'm an expert on being a winsome witness, because it's really not true. Uh, in reading and preparing for today, it was very humbling to think of how little of this I embody in my own life. So, so I'm learning along with you as we look at this passage. And so let's look at Acts 25 and 26. I'm going to read the whole chunk in one, one go here. And, and I think we can see how we can become winsome witnesses for Jesus. And I'm just going to give a disclaimer here. Um, the time that I'm reading the text doesn't count as time that I'm preaching, okay? So you guys have to give me a little extra time. Uh, just kidding. I tried to take it into account. Acts 25. If you're using one of the Bibles, it's on page 934 is where it begins. Acts 25, beginning of verse 1. Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me and if there's anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the laws of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense." But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. 
to the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you yourselves know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to give their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Now, when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix, and when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in, and Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer, but I found that he had done nothing deserving death, and as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not not to indicate the charges against him. Chapter 26. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, That according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities." 
In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. This is God's word. Let's pray once more. Father, we have heard your word. It's been proclaimed to us, and I ask that you would now apply it to our hearts. Help us to see how we can be faithful and winsome witnesses for Jesus in all circumstances, in all times, in all moments, for all people. Would you bring to mind even as we hear your word today, the people in our lives that you've called us to witness, to, to speak, and to, to display the good news of Jesus to, and that our hearts would yearn for them even now to see them come to faith in Jesus, and that even now you would be working in their hearts and their lives. Be with us now as we seek you through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so because we've been a little hit and miss 
over the past couple of months as we've gone through Acts, I want to just briefly catch us all up on what's been going on up to this point. So the first 12 chapters of Acts is mainly about the people of Jesus, the church of Jesus in the city of Jerusalem and the surrounding region. And it's primarily about here's the Jewish people coming to an understanding of Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises of of the Messiah, that Jesus is God's rescuer, God's promised Messiah. Uh, But then there's this dawning realization that Jesus has called them to take this message, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, to the entire world. And he's told them this several times, but it becomes uh, evident to them just through, in, in many ways. And so in Acts 13, we see this man named Paul, who we've just heard his story a little bit. Um, he is sent out by the church into different parts of the world to, to bring the good news of Jesus to these people in all these different places. And, and so over the course of several years, several journeys, Paul and, and people who are partnered with him, they go to all these different cities, they plant churches, they raise up leaders, they send out more church planters, and, um, and it just is this really exciting uh, phase or, or era in the life of the church where thousands and thousands of people in all these different places are coming to faith in Jesus and, and more and more churches are being planted. And so in Acts chapter 21, Paul makes his way back to Jerusalem, back to uh, the city where he had come from, and he is arrested. And so the Jewish leaders who are in Jerusalem and Jewish leaders who were in these other cities where Paul had been doing his ministry, um, they didn't like what Paul was doing. They didn't like that he was preaching that Jesus was the Messiah, and they didn't like that, that Paul was saying that the Messiah was the Savior of all people, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. And so he had a lot of opposition. On top of that, Paul was like, a bro with these guys like he was part of them and now he is he's not he is going directly against them and so there's not just a theological distinction here there's this personal aspect to it like he was one of them and he broke ranks and he's following Jesus now and so that's a lot of where this anger is coming from and so after Paul is arrested in Acts 21 He's put through this series of legal trials. He has to defend his faith to a mob who want to kill him. It's a very violent situation. He has to defend his faith before the Sanhedrin, the Council of Religious Leaders in Jerusalem. He has to defend his faith before various Roman officials. There's a plot um, that gets put on. Uh, 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 they're basically, they make this vow. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. Uh, several Jewish leaders, 40 of them say, we will not eat or drink until Paul is dead. Uh, and so they have this plot to kill him. They, it's found out. So the Roman official in Jerusalem moves him to the city of Caesarea and he faces another trial. The Jews come from Jerusalem to accuse him. He makes his defense. Again, no decision is, found, is made. Uh, it's really clear to the Romans that Paul is not guilty of anything but they just leave him in prison. <laughs> the, the Roman governor, Felix, he, uh, he doesn't want to upset the political situation. He's, it's very, very tumultuous political situation, so he just leaves Paul in custody for two years, just 
no decision. You're, we're not going to say you're guilty or not guilty. We're just going to leave you there. So this is Guantanamo Bay, basically. And, and that's where we're picking up here in Acts chapter 25 and 26. Uh, Governor Felix, he's been relieved of his duties by Emperor Nero, and he has been replaced by a man named Festus. Not much better. Uh, and how does this help us become a, a winsome witness for Jesus? We just covered a huge chunk of narrative there. Uh, and I think we need to remember that story matters, like the, the context of the life that we're, that we're living. Um, how did Paul end up in this situation that we just read about? How did he get there? Uh, and it's because he's part of Jesus' big story. That's the whole reason this story is, is being told to us at all. And, and Jesus calls all of us who follow him, if, if we belong to Jesus, if we're his disciples, then he, he's called all of us to, to be his witnesses, to take his gospel uh, and to make more disciples. So Paul's story is unique, but it's also, we have to realize that we're in our own story as well, and that story that we're in, it matters to the way we talk about Jesus. Uh, every time Paul's talking about Jesus, he's looking back on where God has brought him and what Jesus has done in him and through him and the promises that have been made. So, so the story that we are in is part of our winsome witness. And actually, the more we, actually, we look at our story and we understand the life that we live, it's actually going to make our witness more powerful and more winsome. Okay, now what happens? We're at the beginning of chapter 25. So just to summarize, rather than going through it in depth, this new Roman governor, Felix uh, Festus, excuse me, I'm probably going to do that like nine times, uh, he is... He's just doing the political thing, like, I got to go visit all my constituents now. I've just been installed by Emperor Nero, and I got to go visit people and find out who the players are, find out who I, what are the issues that I need to deal with. So he goes to Jerusalem, and he meets there with the, the religious leaders, because they're the political heavyweights in Jerusalem, and they have a long memory. The main thing they want is to kill Paul still. Just two years later, they're like, want to kill that guy. That's the most pressing issue going on in this big city of Jerusalem. We're not worried about the sewage uh, situation or, you know, the housing or the economy. We just want to kill this one guy. Uh, that's our main concern. So they say, can you bring Paul back to Jerusalem and we'll have a trial here and you can be there, uh, but we just want to have him come back here because it's just more appropriate because this is where he did all the bad stuff. And really, they just want to kill him. Uh, that's, their, that's their whole design. And we think our justice system is messed up. So uh, that's what's going on here in Jerusalem. And Festus, he, he says, sure, we'll do another trial. I don't know what Felix was doing. I don't know why he left this guy in prison. But we'll do another trial. But it's going to be in my where I'm at, in Caesarea. So he says, come there. We'll sort it out. He gets back to Caesarea the next day they have another trial. So the Jews are there. They bring their accusations. They say he's violated the Jewish law. He's violated the temple. And he's trying to uh, cause, up all the, uh, cause all this uh, uprising against the Roman Empire. He's speaking against the Caesar. And Paul says in verse 8, I haven't done any of these things. There's no proof for them. I've not violated the law. I didn't bring any Gentiles into the temple. And 
I have no issue with Rome, okay? So they've said it. We've gone over this a bunch of times. Can't be proven. Why are we doing this again? Uh, but, but now uh, Festus has been in office for like two weeks, and he's seen the dynamics of how things work, and he's like, actually, I need to do these guys a favor because, Paul, you are innocent, but you have no political power, and so I need to appease these guys. So he's like, Paul, what if we just go back to Jerusalem and we do this again? Maybe the fourth, fifth time we'll figure it out. Uh, maybe some new evidence will come to light. And he says, would you be willing to go back there? And, and this is a really pivotal moment because Paul, um, he invokes his right as a Roman citizen. I appeal to the Caesar. I appeal to the highest authority. He says, if I've done nothing, you know, if I had actually done something wrong, I would bear the consequences of that. I'm not afraid of dying. I'm going to go see Emperor Nero, okay? Like, I'm not afraid of dying. I know what that means to go see him. But, but he says, I haven't done anything wrong. And so if the issue, their accusation says I've done something against Rome, I need to stay within the Roman legal system. So he says, if there's going to be justice, it's not going to be in Jerusalem. Like, you think the guys who have accused me are going to give me a fair trial? That's not going to happen. So I have to go to Rome. And so Festus says, all right, fine, let's go to Rome. Let's do it. And, and the rest of the passage deals with uh, this man named Agrippa or Herod Agrippa II. Uh, if you know your Herods, there's a bunch of them. Uh, this guy's father, Herod Agrippa I, he killed the apostle James in Jerusalem. He has imprisoned many Christians, including the apostle Peter. Uh, his grandfather, Herod the Great, was responsible for all the deaths of the young Jewish boys uh, in the time that Jesus was born because he had heard about this Messiah, this king that was the king of the Jews that had been born. And so he, so, so lineage of Herod Agrippa II, not great, a lot of murdering and uh, just terrible things. Um, his father, you guys remember in Acts 12, the guy got eaten up by worms, just a little awesome side note. Um, <laughs> So, so Herod Agrippa II is not, he's not as bad as his dad and his grandpa, uh, but he's there with his sister, Bernice, uh, who he also happens to be in an incestuous relationship uh, with. So, so he's got his own issues going on here. Uh, but Agrippa is kind of doing his own political thing. I got to meet the new governor and pay my respects. And Festus says, hey, Agrippa, you know these Jews. Like, you know all their ins and outs. So like, can you help me work through the situation with this guy, Paul? I don't, know, I don't know what to do. He appealed to Caesar. We got these angry uh, religious leaders like, how, how am I going to do this? So he rehashes the, the whole thing with Agrippa. And Agrippa says, well, I want to hear from this guy myself. Do you, like, how many times does Paul have to tell this story <laughs> just to another person? And so at the end of Acts 25, you got to get this picture in your mind that that Festus says, okay, we're going to do this big, this big shindig, and, and Paul will make his defense, and it's in front of all these people. It says they came in with great pomp, you know, and it's like, it's like a ceremony. Uh, you can just imagine everyone's wearing their nicest clothes, all the bigwigs are there, everyone, you know, depending on where you're sitting shows how important you are. And Festus does this big flowery introduction. We have to come to some kind of uh, agreement on what we're going to tell Caesar because this man's appealed 
to Caesar, and, and then Paul begins in chapter 26 to make his defense. And I think what Paul does here, this is what we're going to focus on mainly, is that uh, here's what it looks like to be a winsome witness for Jesus in the face of all these other things that he has been going through. And I'm drawing many of these applications from uh, this pastor named Tony Marita. He has a book on uh, a commentary on the book of Acts that, um, that I'm drawing a lot of these points of application from. So, um, so what does a winsome witness do, and how do we become that kind of a witness for Jesus? So first, a winsome witness speaks respectfully. Okay, you got to be respectful. If you want to be the kind of person uh, who, when you speak, you, you draw people to what you're saying, you got to speak respectfully, and that's what Paul does. He's not flattering Agrippa. He's not flattering all the people there. He's not trying to gain their approval. He just speaks to Agrippa and says, I'm really glad that I'm getting to tell you this story because you understand a little bit of what I'm talking about here. And, and he, Paul sort of embodies what uh, the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3. You guys might know this verse. Be ready, right, to, uh, to make a defense of the hope that you have. Be ready to defend your faith. And we always talk about that, like I need to know what to say to people when they have questions. But Peter says to do that with gentleness and respect. And Paul embodies that in the way that he is speaking because our tone matters. Our posture matters. If you're being really loud and aggressive and abrasive when you're talking about the grace and love of God, there's like a, there's a disconnect there, right? Like, huh, He's talking about how good and beautiful and gracious God is, but he's super red in the face. Uh, it just, like, we have to connect what we're saying with our tone and our posture. So those things don't matter more than what we're talking about, but they do matter. And so if we're going to be winsome, we have to speak respectfully and have a respectful approach to the people that we're talking to. Like, Paul he addresses Agrippa specifically. I know who you are. He doesn't say anything about the incest, uh, but he's like, I know who you are. Uh, and hopefully that's the last time I mention that. Um, Dallas is teaching about uh, David and Bathsheba in the Sunday school room, so I think I got it pretty easy here. Um, <laughs> but no matter who we're talking to, it's a rich person, it's a poor person, it's a Muslim, it's somebody who's spiritual but not religious, um, it can be an agnostic, an atheist, whoever it is, like respect who that person is as a human, that they're made in God's image, that they have dignity and worth and value. And so whenever you speak to someone, no matter who they are or what their story is, to approach them with respect. That's, I think, the first way we can be a winsome witness. Second, a winsome witness is somebody who remembers what it's like to not believe. And Paul does this when he tells his own story. I know what it's like not to believe. So tell your own story. Uh, you can relate to people. I know what it's like to look at this Jesus story, to hear about it and think it's crazy because I did too. And that's what Paul relates to them. I opposed the Christians. I went after them. I voted for them to be killed. I approved of their, their deaths. I went after them in fury, in rage, because I was so convinced that they were wrong. So Paul knows what it's like to be on the other side. And he tells that story again and again. I know what it's like to not 
believe. And, and it's a really powerful way for us when we talk to people about Jesus, uh, if they know that we don't think we're better than them, that we don't think we're smarter than them, that we don't think we're more spiritual or good or something like that. If you're talking to people about Jesus and you have an air of superiority, it doesn't, it doesn't work very good. It's not very winsome. Um, but we want, to, we want to speak to people in a way that shows we relate to, their, to the place that they're in. And even, I remember talking to one of my coworkers I said, would you prefer if I called you a non-believer or an unbeliever? <laughs> and, I, and it was like in the context of a whole conversation, but he was like, huh, that's, he's like, well, I don't know. Uh, he's like, well, everybody believes in something. Uh, so, I mean, I'm not a non-believer, but I'm not an unbeliever either but even just like asking a question like I don't remember what we landed on Um, I just called him by his name generally but um, (laughs) but but just thinking about people who 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 haven't put their faith in Jesus um, to remember always remember what it was like to be in that place and that's hard for some of us who we grew up in church maybe and we don't know really what life was like outside of following Jesus but um, but each of us has come to faith in Jesus at some moment. We weren't born followers of Jesus. And so um, put yourself in their shoes and think about where they were at and be very careful about the way you talk about us versus them uh, because you were a them. We've all been a them. We've been on the other side. And without Jesus, you'd still be there. And so a winsome witness remembers what it was like to not believe Next, a winsome witness points to Jesus. When Paul's telling the story of how he came to faith in Jesus, he he gives all the credit to Jesus. He didn't say, I read a bunch of books, I meditated for 60 days on top of a mountain, Um, I just considered all the options and I came down on the side of Christianity. He says, I had to be saved. I had to be rescued. I needed God to humble me, to knock me to the ground before I saw where I was wrong. And so the glory goes to Jesus. My, his salvation comes from Jesus. And when, when we talk about Jesus, but we're only really talking about ourselves, that's not very attractive. Uh, it's not very winsome. Uh, it just sounds like we wanted an excuse to talk about how great we are. But if we're going to be winsome for Jesus, we just keep pointing to him again and again and again because he is the one who's attractive. He's the one who's winsome, not, not us. So a winsome witness points to Jesus. Next, a winsome witness talks about the need and the benefits of the gospel for all kinds of people. And that's one of the most powerful aspects of Paul's own story. He's learned that the gospel of Jesus is this great equalizer, uh, that he was so proud and superior as this, you know, I was a Jew of Jews. I was very strict in my observance, but he learned the gospel is this equalizer, that we're all on equal footing before God, that we're, we've all sinned against God. We're all in desperate need of grace. We all feel alienated. We all feel separated. We all need rescue. And he says, Jesus offers that to each one of us. Jesus gives that to each one of us. His salvation is for all kinds 
of people. So like when we invite people here on Sunday, when I get up or whoever's uh, giving our invitation on Sunday, why do we do that? It's to remind ourselves and to tell anyone who is here that all kinds of people are welcome here. If you are broken, if you are weary, if you are in mourning, if you feel lost, if you feel, uh, if you feel just shattered in your life, you are welcome here. If you feel alienated, if you feel oppressed, right, you are welcome here. So all kinds of people are welcome because Jesus offers welcome to all kinds of people. If, if you only believe, if we only believe that Jesus loves certain types of people, we're only going to invite certain types of people into faith in Jesus. We're going we're gonna to be selective in our sharing of Jesus, but, but when we are a winsome witness, it means that we've been gripped by the amazing grace of Jesus, like really gripped and convicted, like Jesus loves all these people. So when I'm driving around town and I see all kinds of people, I feel the grip of grace on my heart toward them, not just towards certain types of people, and I've written off everyone else. But his salvation and his invitation is for all kinds of people. And that means that our church here and our churches all over are going to be diverse because they're made up of all kinds of people. And diversity is actually winsome. It's attractive in a way that nothing else can do. No matter how much we talk about how Jesus loves all kinds of people, if our church is made up of all kinds of people, it's like it has this attraction and this draw. So a winsome witness talks about the need and the benefit for all kinds of the gospel for all kinds of people. Next, a winsome witness has one goal, one message. Uh, in verses 19 through 23, Paul just really goes for it. This is in chapter 26, not 25. Um, he's not trying to defend himself. He just says, all I want to talk about really is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. He wants Agrippa and everyone who's there to know the whole purpose of my life is to tell the story of Jesus, who he is, what he has done, what he's accomplished, and, and you can tell that Paul is still gripped by this story. It's why he's in this moment, and he wants them to respond in faith and in repentance. He says, that's the whole, that's the whole thing I'm supposed to be doing. That's, that's what it's all about, and that's really for us as we are witnesses for Jesus. That's the goal. It's not to get people to come to our church. It's not to get people to think that we are nice. It's just to, get, it's to show people who Jesus is and what he's done. Next, a winsome witness is not afraid. It's really hard to be appealing when you're always angling for people's approval. And this is, I think, a big one when we share Jesus with other people is we're like always trying to do it in a way that doesn't offend people or is the most acceptable. And I think people can sense when we're trying to be like, it's not that weird, right? <laughs> like, I'm not that weird, right? Because I believe this. I mean, and that's the foremost thought in our minds sometimes is how can I do this in a way that is the least weird? Uh, and that's reasonable. Um, but if that's the only thing we're thinking about, we're just looking for someone's approval and that's basically rooted in fear. When Paul's being a witness here, he, he knows, I already have God's approval. 
He has stamped his love on me, right? It, it's like that song we sang today. I am who you say I am, right? So Paul knows that. I am who you say I am, and so I don't need the approval of Festus or Felix or Agrippa or whoever is in place here. And he says, I have God's help. Verse 22, he talks about it. I have the help of God. God has come to me over and over again and said, I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to be with you all the way to Rome. And so we don't have to be afraid as we witness for Jesus. Next, a winsome witness calls for a response. Paul doesn't just talk about Jesus. He starts to ask some hard questions. I want you to wrestle with this. Agrippa, he says, you know what I'm talking about. Don't you believe? Right? I mean, he puts the king on the spot. He puts this guy on the spot. And, and it's going to make people uncomfortable. But a winsome witness doesn't just want to have a conversation. Uh, we want to leave people with an expectation of some kind of response. Because the message of Jesus isn't just a story. It's a story that demands our response, right? If, if Jesus is who he said he was and he was raised from the dead, then you either have to reject him or you have to submit your life to him. There's like not a middle ground there. And so if, if we're gonna be a winsome witness, we have to leave, we have to put it back on people in a way that says, Jesus You've heard the story, and so like I'm just going to leave you with an expectation of some kind of response. Uh, and you don't want to like be like, well, maybe you do. Just follow the Lord on this, but you know, hey, have a good drive home. Hope you don't die before you figure out what <laughs> how you're going to respond to this. Like, don't be manipulative, um, but like have that kind of expectation that you expect people to respond to what you're saying. Sometimes we don't have that expectation. We're just like, here's a story, and I hope you have a good day. Like, we can leave people with an expectation of a response. Here's the story of Jesus. This is who he is. This is what he has done. So how are you going to respond to that? What's your, what's your response to this? And that's a pretty compelling message, and I love, I love how Festus, like, the tables get turned on him, and he's like, well, you think I'm just going to, like, believe in, in the short amount of time? You just started talking, Paul, and, and you think I'm going to do that in front of all these people? I came in here with great pomp. I'm not going uh, to just decide. So a, win- a winsome witness calls for a response. A winsome witness also is prepared and expects rejection. Right? Paul makes his appeal, and he's very passionate in the way he makes his appeal. So passionate that Festus says, Paul, you've lost your mind. Like, I thought you were going to talk about why you're not guilty, and you're talking about this guy who raised from the dead? Like, that's why Agrippa's here, so I didn't have to hear that stuff. Um, and, and Paul responds calmly, reasonably. Nope, I'm not crazy. What I'm saying is based in fact, in truth, And it's a rational truth. And so when rejection comes, we can just say, let's just go back to the truth. What what actually happened? Do you think Jesus is who he says he was? Do you think he was raised from the dead? 
And if someone does not uh, accept that, expect rejection, expect accusation, expect disregard. But if you do think that's a possibility, how are you going to respond? And so a winsome witness doesn't ridicule when we are ridiculed or reject when we have been rejected. Finally, the last one, a winsome witness has a heart of prayer. When Agrippa, he says, Paul, do you really think I'm going to believe this like right now in front of all these people? And Paul, the way he comes back is really incredible. He says, I would to God. And what he means is I pray. I've been praying that you would, that you would believe, that you would respond in faith. And I, and I pray that all of these people would, including these guys who keep trying to kill me, The only part I don't want for them is to be imprisoned like me. I don't want them in chains. But I would, I pray that they would give their lives to Jesus. I pray that you would give your life to Jesus. And I just think, how can someone who's been imprisoned on false charges, trumped up charges, been the victim of political whatever, for two years waiting and have to just say the same thing again, How can he say something like that? Like, my heart is for you. I've been praying for you. My prayer for you is this. My prayer isn't that you'll let me off, or my prayer isn't that you'll just totally humiliate my enemies. My prayer is that you would have faith in Jesus. And I think the only way that he can say that and to be a winsome witness like this is because he's been spending time with Jesus. It's because his heart has been change that he actually loves the people that he's talking to, that there is some real yearning for them to know the love that he's been shown by Jesus. And I, and I think here, you know, I don't like giving any secrets out because I don't think there's a lot of secrets in the Bible, uh, but you could call it the, the secret to being a winsome witness is that our purpose isn't to win an argument, it's to win people. And I think sometimes we get this idea that that sharing Jesus is kind of like this cosmic Facebook page where we're all trying to win the debate, right? Like if I just write this really long response, I'm going to change someone's mind. And I, I, have you ever seen that happen on Facebook? <laughs> no, it just, it's, it's not really a great venue for that um, or much of anything. But, um, but we're, we're not on this cosmic Facebook page and we're going to debate people into believing in Jesus. We are a living witness and our whole life declares the beauty and the grace and the truth of Jesus. So how can we become that kind of witness? And I think it's look at Paul. If, if the way that he could respond with love and prayer, a heart of prayer for them is because he spent time with Jesus, we have to do the same thing. We have to spend time with Jesus. We have to delight ourselves in him. We have to abide in him. And if we find our joy in him, we'll share that joy with other people. If we find our hope in him, we will share that hope with other people. If we find our life in him, we're going to call other people into that life with us. And ultimately, it's to remember that Jesus is infinitely winsome, right? Like when Jesus was on the earth when he did his ministry, 
we could say he was winsome. He was appealing and attractive, and people were always drawn to him. And so if we're pointing people again and again to Jesus, uh, they're seeing him and his attractiveness. And, And Jesus even talked about this. He said in John chapter 12, verse 32, when I am lifted up from the earth, and he's speaking of his death on the cross, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And he's saying, I have to die, I have to give myself in order for salvation to come, for, for all these people, for all kinds of people to come to me. But when I am, I'm going to draw them in. I'm going to, to call them in to my family. And that's our whole goal, our whole purpose as a church, as people who follow Jesus, to just say, look at this man. Look at the Son of God who gave himself for you. He gave himself on the cross for you. What, what could be better? What could be greater than that love who would give himself for you? And so we can be winsome witnesses. We can lift up Jesus together and we can see him drawing more and more people to himself. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this story, not just because of what it tells us about history or that we get to see a great example uh, but ultimately because it's, it's drawing us back to you. It's reminding us of your great love for us. That without you, none of this would exist. Uh, we would not be here if not Jesus for your love for us. If, if you had not been lifted up on the cross, we would not be here. If you had not given yourself for us, we would not be here. We would have nothing to remember, nothing to celebrate Jesus, if you had not come out of the tomb, we would not be here. We would have no hope. Thank you that you have conquered sin, you have conquered death, and that we have this beautiful message to embrace and to share. And I pray that you would help us as a church, as individuals, and as a body to be a living representation of this beautiful message through the things that we say and the things that we do, and that we would see many people here in Eureka and in Fortuna and McKinleyville and wherever you have us come to faith in Jesus, and and not just as a box to check, but as a life to live. Thank you for loving us. Help us as we continue to respond in worship. In Jesus' name, amen.